Thank you, Ben. How is everybody doing today? I already asked you that, didn't I? I'll try and not ask you anymore. Is that why you didn't answer? Because I already asked you? <laughs> I don't believe you. Uh, so this week, uh, it's been a busy week, a lot of stuff happening, and uh, my preparation time for the sermon got a little bit turned upside down, uh, and Thursday night, uh, my kids didn't have school on Friday, and so we let the kids stay up all night Thursday night and watch the whole ball game. It was like a little after 10, and said, I'll let you stay up, but you've got to promise to go right upstairs when the game's over and, and brush your teeth and get ready and get in bed. And they go upstairs, and I did a few things downstairs and went upstairs to, you know, make sure they were, you know, their teeth had been brushed. They'd been upstairs for, I don't know, seven or eight minutes. Plenty of time to have brushed your teeth. And they're like all in the same bathroom. One of them is like going to the bathroom, and two of them are holding their toothbrushes, and no one has put any toothpaste on their toothbrush. And I'm just... You know, the Cardinals just lost, so uh, I'm, like, really frustrated, and, and they're, like, not doing what I tell them to, and I tell them that, okay, I'm going to walk away, I'm going to come back, and you guys better be brushing teeth. I come back, and they're just still not brushing their teeth. I'm going crazy. And I just realized, Hannah Grace is right back there. <laughs> uh, I just kind of... You know, as I'm, as I'm kind of talking, I'm kind of surveying, and, oh, I just met eyes with my daughter. Hi, babe. <laughs> uh, so you, you can ask her later. This is a true story. This actually happened. Uh, so nothing is happening, right? And so I get, you know, I'm starting to get frustrated. And we've just kind of been having this wrestling match with, with Cooper for a while. I just, you know, he's testing and all that stuff, whatever. Um, and so he's really sort of, you know, the focus of the descent here. And so I go to bed, and, and I'm, I'm frustrated with, with them and fall asleep and, and wake up the next morning, and my car, the license, the tags are expired, so i got to go drop my car off to, to get it inspected, whatever, and want to head out there about in time to, to, to drive. He said, drop the I'd call the guy the day before. I said, drop it off at 9 o'clock. We can get it done in a couple hours. should be fine. So at 10.30, uh, we leave the house to go drop off the car and spare you the, the frustration that happened there. The, the plan was for Jen to take the kids and go kind of do some shopping and do some stuff and so that I could uh, have the whole day on Friday to, to study, which I'm thinking is going to start about 10 o'clock. And... Stuff happens, and it's like 10.30, and it just, we haven't even left the house yet. And Cooper has made it so that he's going to spend the rest of the whole day at home in, this, in his bedroom and being punished, right? So my frustration level is really, really high. And as we're going to, the, uh, going to drop the car off, we back up. And if you guys have been by my house lately, there's like, they've decided to break up little sections of the street, like 20-foot square concrete patches. They just break them up and then put them in a dump truck and drive the dump trucks away and 
leave a hole for a few days and barrels and there's what I've termed ambivalent men to my plight uh, that are fixing these holes and stuff. And so, so what, what's happening here is there's barrels and holes in the street and these guys that don't really care that there are other people in the world who have stuff to do during the day. Um, so we drive there, and as we're coming back, uh, there's, there's a guy standing on the corner on his phone, and right up the road from him is this big, like, claw thing that they're using to break up the concrete, and then they scoop the, the claw and dump it into the dump truck. So there's this massive piece of machinery taken up the left side of the road, and this dump truck taken up the right side of the road. And we pull up to the dump truck thinking the dump truck will, like, back up so that we can pass and then go back up to where it was. doesn't happen. We sit there for, like, three or four minutes. And uh, nothing, nothing is happening. And so we back up and, and find this guy on the cell phone, like, Jen rolls the window down and said, is there, is there any way that they could like just back that up? And he's like, well, we're behind schedule. We really can't. Um, he's planted there, and if he were to back up, it would just cause us all this problem. And so I've had Thursday night filled with frustration as I went to bed this, this Friday morning, and I know that I've got this pressing task. It's really important that I've got to get to today, and this guy is blocking that. And so I get angry like three times a year. Um, and this was one of them and like and because I only get angry like three times a year when I'm angry I really don't make any sense because I'm just you know you know got this adrenaline pumping through me and I'm like what and like he's he Jen's driving the van and, and I'm in the passenger seat and he's like at the driver's side window and so I'm like frustrated I'm like bent over yelling like this so he can see me and he's got to bend over and you can tell, like, this is a construction guy. He's like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to have to deal with this idiot. And, like, he's kind of condescending and whatever. And so finally we just said, whatever. Jen rolls up the window, and we pull away, and we drive around the block a, a different way and eventually make our way back into our driveway. And so now it's like 11 o'clock, and I'm in no place to prepare a sermon, right? Because I'm agitated. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, like, Man, these barrels and these holes and these ambivalent men that are out in front of the house, they're like metaphors to the physical world spiritually blocking me to, to get my, my tasks done. And so I just kind of think through the, that sort of metaphor that there's, you know, I've got a task to do that I feel like is really important and, and there are physical blocks to that task. And so I go up and uh, whenever I'm really frustrated like that, I, I just go and take a shower. And so I, I think that, you know, that can, the reality of the actual shower can bring this metaphorical cleaning and I can, you know, get back into the right frame of mind to actually prepare the sermon. So I do that and go back and, and sit down and begin to prepare the message that we, we have for us this morning. And, and I'll come back to that story in a second because it gets better. Um, so, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let's pray and we'll get into the, the heart of, of what God has for us this morning. God, I thank you for this opportunity for us to gather this morning, Father. And I, I pray that, uh, 
that you would just explode the truth of who you are and the hope that you've provided, the secure, eternal, steadfast hope that you have provided for us. God, explode that into our hearts this morning, God. And I pray for each of us as we sit and seek to hear from you this morning, Father, that you would connect our minds with suffering and difficulty and just the physical world, Father. Connect our minds with that and God, I pray that the hope that you've provided through Jesus Christ would, would overwhelm that, Father, and, and speak hope into the deepest recesses of our soul, God. And we would rise with that hope in mind and face this world that you've given us to, to interact with. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his perfect name. Amen. Uh, so there's three segments that are in this, this passage, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. Um, I'm going to lay them out for us, and then we'll deal with them one by one. Uh, the first two verses in chapter 4 talk about defeating sin through connecting with Christ's suffering. Defeating sin through connecting with Christ's suffering. And be careful as, as I walk through that, that God is given us the opportunity and ability to defeat sin, but our ability to do that and, and the real world and, and whether we defeat sin or, or sin overcomes us changes nothing of our standing with Christ, but it does change something with our ability to relate to him. I'll get to that more in, in a bit, but your righteousness before God has nothing to do with your ability to defeat sin. Your connectivity with God does. And we'll talk about that as we go along. The second thing uh, is about living for immediate gratification and very present lusts. And when I say lust, don't think about sexual lust. Just think about the satisfying a physical urge. All right? Living for immediate gratification and satisfying present urges, physical urges urges and lusts. And then the third thing is that you might live presently and for all eternity in the spirit. At the, the end, the, the last verse that, that Ben read for us this morning in verse six talks about living in the spirit. And so that that's not just something that is to come when we're with God in heaven, but something for us to live in very presently here and now on October the 23rd, 2011 at 935 in the morning for us to live very presently in the Spirit. All right, so those are the three segments that are in this passage, and we'll deal with them one by one. First, defeating sin through connecting with Christ's suffering. Some, some steps that he takes. In, in verse 1, he says that Christ suffered in the flesh. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. This is us being able to defeat sin through connecting with Christ's suffering. We can model what Christ did. He suffered in the flesh. Then at the, the other part of, of verse one, this is, if, if sometimes when, for me, when I'm really studying in depth of passage, a particular phrase will just explode out of me. And that's the thing that kind of bumps and, and sticks in my brain for the next 
several weeks to, to months and sometimes even longer than that. This is it here, the, after the comma there in verse 1. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. So, the task is to defeat sin. The weapon that God has given to us is to arm ourselves, take up the arm with the same way of thinking. So the way to defeat sin, the the thing that we have been given by God to defeat sin is this way of thinking that he's going to talk about in just a bit, but ultimately wound up with Christ suffering on the cross for somebody else's gain. That's the way of thinking that we are to arm ourselves with, that I'm willing to suffer so that someone else could gain. That's the, really the effect of the cross. The third thing in, in verse 1 is, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And this is something that I had to like go to commentaries about and think through. What, is that, what does that mean that if someone has suffered in the flesh, that means they have ceased from sin? This is talking about Christ, and this is really the definition here of our of our connectivity to Christ is, is directly proportional to our ability to defeat sin. And we'll, we'll, I'll read you a few of those commentaries as we go and, and think through some of this thing. And then the last part of, of verse 2, so that you no longer live for human passions, but for the will of God. And that kind of bridges into the second one about immediate gratification and very present urges and lusts. Um, but let's, let's spend some time here with this idea of arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, so as to live the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Um, this is the lesson that Jesus taught Peter in Matthew 16. Remember we talked about that last week, is that the lesson that Peter is teaching us and the Jews that heard this initially is the same lesson that Jesus taught Peter in verse 16 when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said, upon the rock of of that truth, I'll build my church. And then, like the next breath, Jesus said, I'm going to go and suffer. I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, Jesus, you're not going to do that. I rebuke you for saying that you're going to die. And and Jesus says, you have your mind on the things of now, not on the things to come. You have your mind on the physical world, not on the spiritual world. And that's something that's going to be coming out of my mouth for the rest of the our time today is we got to get our minds off of what's happening to our physical bodies and our minds on what's happening to our spiritual realities. And that's the lesson that Jesus taught Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan. It's that important to Jesus for us to get our minds off of present realities, physical present realities, and onto the spiritual reality because there's so much bigger stuff happening than just what's happening to our physical senses. We have five senses that, that allow us to interact and engage with the world. And so many times, it's those five senses and how we react to those things that determine how we, how we feel about what's going on. Whether we, or not we feel good, our head hurts, our body aches, or whether, what, what we touch, what we taste, what we see, what we smell, what we hear. We are en- enraptured with making our five senses pleasured. And when they're not pleasured, when we feel pain, when we, when we smell something that, that we don't like, when we taste something that we don't like, we want to run from that. We want to push it away. And that's the way that we engage with the world, and we feel things that way. And what Christ is teaching us, teaching Peter in Matthew 16, and what 
Peter is teaching us here in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and 4 is to engage with the spiritual world and lay aside very present physical urges. All right? That's the lesson that Peter was taught by Jesus and that Peter is teaching us here. Um, so whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Again, walking a thin line about works-based righteousness. And, and don't be confused. Your righteousness is not rooted. Your righteousness. And when I say righteousness, I mean your ability to stand before God without sin is completely unaffected by here. And Jesus fixed it with the cross, imputed his righteousness to you. But there is a connectivity issue. So I want to, let's get to the, the commentaries because uh, this can, can be a very confusing idea. Um, John Gill, who is, uh, was Jonathan Edwards' pastor. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan pastor who was very instrumental in the, the shaping of our country. And so John Gill was Jonathan Edwards' pastor and he writes a commentary you can find on lots of different websites. Uh, and it's brilliant. He says... Uh, two things about this verse, and one of them is really simple and one of them is really deep. The first one, the simple one, from our connection to the sufferings of Christ and being able to emulate them comes our ability to overcome sin and live a holy life. Very simple, straightforward. From our connection to the sufferings of Christ and being able to emulate them comes our ability to overcome sin and live a holy life. All right? Now here comes the deep part. You ready? This is John Gill. He was like alive in the 1700s, and he's really smart, and he's getting ready to get deep. So engage it. I know you can, you know you can connect with it. The sufferings of Christ, he argues, from thence, meaning growing from the sufferings of Christ, to holiness of life and patience in suffering after this manner. Seeing then Christ, the eternal Son of God, the Lord of glory, the holy and just one. He's just talking about the greatness of who Christ is. Seeing then Christ, the eternal Son of God, the Lord of glory, the holy and just one, suffered such indig indignities, reproaches, and persecutions from men, the wrath of God. So he didn't just suffer persecutions from men. And I'm connecting myself to that doofus on the corner who was smart aleck to me and was keeping me from doing what I wanted to do in my life on that Friday. Injustice from men and the wrath of God. Do you have any idea the extent of the wrath of God? The violence that is there. And Jesus drank the whole of it. This is what he endured. Persecutions from men almost sound silly to have to endure in light of the wrath of God. The curses of the law and death itself. And not for himself or for angels, but for men, for people. Enduring welcoming the enduring difficulty of the wrath of God for somebody else. These are the sufferings of God. And what First Peter is telling us here is that our 
our connectivity to that helps us to defeat sin. So, arm yourselves with that mind, with that way of thinking, really says this. The mind, attitude, state of mind that sent Christ to the cross is the mind, attitude, and state of mind that needs to be true of us as we die to ourselves. Okay, go back to our story. Frustrated Thursday night, really frustrated Friday morning. My kids aren't acting the way I want them to act, and it's putting a block in my ability to study. And then just life happens, and we get started an hour and a half late. And then this guy, in the midst of my frustration, provides another block to that. There's all these physical things, physical realities that are keeping me from my spiritual task here. And I'm sitting there, and I'm reading this passage. I'm studying John Gill. I'm studying First Peter. I'm thinking through, what does this look like? Wrestling with it. Writing a bunch of stuff. Deleting it. Writing a bunch of stuff. Oh, that's stupid. Deleting it. All those things that are, that are happening in my mind. I'm sitting in the table right in my front room, the kitchen table, and I, I can look outside, and I see a like right outside my front room is a barrel and a hole and, and like tape that's, that's cutting this from barrel to barrel, making sure that somebody doesn't fall into this hole. And walking up the street, the dude that I just screamed at. And God is just like, all right, what's up, man? I walk out there to my guy. He's on the phone. He, he hangs up the phone literally like two steps before I get to him. And I tap him on the shoulder and said, hey man, uh, I had a frustrating night last night, I had a frustrating morning this morning. You're doing your job. You got no need to hear me yelling at you. And he stopped and he turned around and looked at me and, and I'm telling, this guy's like 6'3 and just a, a beast of a guy. And uh, tears come in this dude's eyes. And he goes, man, this has been the longest week of my life. This has been a really hard, long week. You have no idea what you're saying that means to me. Holy cow. And the beauty of it all is, is there's all these physical metaphors all over. These barrels, this tape, these holes, my screaming kids, and just a, a... the hard week that I've had, not allowing myself to, to really connect with the message, and then this guy, and, and it's all, it's great that we get to tell this story, but it's greater that I got to have this connection with this dude. I got no idea what's going on in this guy's life. I'm praying that God allows me to connect with this guy next week, because there's still lots of holes in my street, and he'll be back. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be, I'm hoping that he'll be back. But the, the thing is, and then I'm and before I went out there, I'm thinking to myself, my flesh wants to say, I'm going to go out there and say sorry to him. And I'm really hoping that he says sorry to me. Because ultimately, what should have happened was he, the dump truck could have backed up. It would have taken him like 20 seconds to back up, us pull through, and him back, right back up. But the point is, that doesn't make any difference. Him doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing doesn't get me off the hook. Doesn't change, and because ultimately, look at what, look at Christ. If, if our actions 
doing the right thing had anything to do with him going to the cross, he would have never gone to the cross. So what the point is, to really connect with the sufferings of Jesus, forget about what people have done to you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have anything to do with what you're called to do. Do you, do, you, do you connect with that? What that means to lay down your life? I may have had every right to walk up to this guy and say, you know what, I'm sorry that I acted this way, but you did this to me. But that doesn't, there's, has absolutely nothing to do with my call. Has absolutely, the people that wrong you and the way you wrong people have, what they've done to you has absolutely nothing to do with how you are called to respond to them. That is what it means to connect with the sufferings of Christ and to, as you do, you lay down your life. You lay down your rights. You, you have the same mind and attitude that Jesus had. And this is what Christ is calling us to do. And the beautiful thing is, and I've said this every time I've talked, is that what's going to happen to these people is that they're going to be impaled and set on fire in about a year. So I messed up and had an hour and a half my day got behind. I didn't get impaled and set on fire. So if you think your suffering is too great to actually act like this, that is a lie. Stop it. If you think what's happened to you, the sufferings that have happened to you, are too great, you just can't lay them down, find me, we'll have a conversation. And I'm, I'm not... That's not just some guy talking. Seriously. Find me. We'll have a conversation. Richard Wormbrand. Weird, funny name, right? Wormbrand is his name. He's a Romanian pastor uh, who spent 14 years in a torture prison for his faith. A torture prison. That means like every day he's getting tortured and he's in prison. This is what he has to say. I have accepted this proposal. Christians are meant to have the same vocation as their king, that of cross-bearers. Meaning, enduring a deep physical pain for someone else's benefit. It is this conscious of a high calling and of partnership with Jesus that brings gladness and tribulations, which makes Christians enter prisons for their faith with the joy of a bridegroom entering the bridal room. Okay, the beauty of that is at the end. Don't, don't, don't get tripped up on the first half of what he just said and look at the, the second half of what he just said. It's so, man, makes Christians enter prisons for their faith with the joy of a bridegroom entering the bridal room. One of my favorite things when I get to per perform a wedding is to stand next to the groom when he sees his wife for the first time and the joy that overwhelms him and the look on his face. Next time you go to a wedding, check it out. It's, it's like, like the, the purity of the giddiness is, you, you don't see that much in the world, except in, in those moments. And this is Christians enter prisons 
for their faith have the same idea, the same notion. Because we are connecting with our Savior. And in connecting with our Savior comes a joy and a peace that this world can't afford in any place else. Christians enter prisons for their faith with the joy of a bridegroom entering the bridal room. Man. And I'm telling you, the whole thing, me going out talking to that guy, the peace that's just overcoming, and I got no idea what's happened in this guy's life. The peace that comes into my heart, into my soul, and the way that, that this whole message just, just, just flowed out. It took me like 10 minutes the rest of the time because God just overcame me with his presence. The second thought, living for immediate gratification and present lust. Verse 3 tells us that the time to act, giving into your flesh, to gratify it, is now past. Do you understand that? The time for you and I to be concerned with gratifying our five senses, it's over. It doesn't exist anymore. Verse 4 says that people aren't going to get it, and they're going to malign you. I had to work, look up malign. I thought I kind of knew what it meant, but I wanted to get to the heart of what it means to be maligned. Malign means to speak harmful truths about you. I don't know about you, but one of the things that makes me the most angry is when somebody tells somebody else a lie about me that makes me look bad or makes them just get angry at me. I've experienced that quite a bit in the last six to seven months. And there's very little that makes me more angry than when somebody tells a lie about me that makes that person want to distrust me. Here, verse four says, when you act this way, people are going to malign you. Verse 5 tells us that God will be the judge of all people. Scripture's filled with, don't worry about it, let God take care of it. Read Psalm 37, one of my favorite psalms. It's all about, like, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Don't sweat it. When people malign you, don't sweat it. When you don't give in to gratifying your flesh, People will malign you and just not understand. And they're going to push you away and make life more difficult for you. What Scripture is saying, if we think of things spiritually, outside of the context of the present, God will take care of them. God will judge them. You don't need to sweat it. Then the last thing that I want to deal with is verse 6. You might live presently and for all eternity in the Spirit. Verse 6 puts like a bow on this passage, this chunk of Scripture. It's to allow you and I to live in the Spirit the way that God lives in the Spirit. There are massive implications to this. Massive implications. And a great hope that comes 
with these. Um, Let's read verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So the purpose of the gospel is so that we would live in the spirit. We get sometimes we can get confused over like commas and parenthetical inserts in scripture. So I just want to read this. For this is why the gospel was preached, so that we might live in the spirit the way God does. The purpose of the gospel in your life is to live in the spirit the way God does. What does that mean? You and I have bodies, and every day our bodies take a step towards decay. One day, our bodies will be in the ground turning to dust. But our spirits will live forever. C.S. Lewis has a beautiful quote that summarizes this perfectly. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. If we thought of our bodies and this physical world the way that I think of this t-shirt, we're close to getting it. This is a great t-shirt. I've had it for a really long time. I've worn it a lot. It's got a little hole right here. It's really, really comfortable. It's, did you hear me say that? It's really, really comfortable. It makes me want to put it on. It's really, really comfortable. If we thought of our bodies the way I think of this t-shirt, we'd be a lot better off. I'm consumed with comfort in my physical world. This t-shirt, like I put it on this morning and Jen's like, you really need to, like that's starting to lose its shape and like the sleeves when he first put it on are like kind of whatever and like down here it's much wider than it is up here. I don't know what that says. Uh, But The fact is, is that we walk around consumed with our bodies. And I don't mean to say that like exercise and diet consumed with our bodies, but consumed with how we feel. I'm fully aware that this t-shirt very soon, especially if Jen has anything to say about it, will no longer be in my rotation. (laughs) And you know, that sucks, but big deal. There's other brown t-shirts at Gap. Okay, that might have been a little bit funny, but I didn't mean it to be. The heart of the matter is that We are a soul that will live eternally with God or apart from God. And if we could just think through that metaphor about our clothing and what we wear and the comfort that it provides us and the warmth that it provides us, whatever, and that it's really just irrelevant. We would stand before God naked and unashamed. 
This physical world is not the end. Deep, abiding, communing relationship with God is the end. It's why we're here. Everything that happens is about getting you there. And even suffering is about getting you there. And here's, here's what, I, what I mean. And God is some of the most beautiful experiences that my wife and I have are experiences where we just sit next to each other. There's nothing that I have to say to make her happy, nothing she has to say or do to make me happy. I like to do things for her. She likes to do things for me. She's baked me two apple pies in the last like 10 days. Those are great. But I'd really rather just sit next to her on the sofa. And the, the beauty that God has given my heart a glimpse to is the abiding, communing relationship that we have is a simple momentary glimpse into the beauty of what God has intended for you. And our, the, the direct connection to that beauty and intimacy is related to our ability to defeat sin. And our ability to defeat sin is directly related to our ability to connect with Christ and his suffering. And connecting with Christ and his suffering is thinking about how he suffered, but also it's suffering very presently. And if the ultimate purpose for our lives is to be in deep communing relationship with God and a way to get there is to suffer, raise your hand. Yes, I'll suffer. Because I know that I'm a soul that has a body. And God wants to satisfy the depth of that soul. So what, is it, what does it mean to live in the Spirit? This is what I've kind of boiled it down to. It's every relational longing ever felt or even hinted at feeling satisfied to its fullest. Do you want that? I mean, seriously. Every longing you've ever had or even thought about having or even hinted about having satisfied to its fullest. And the thing that I, I think is beautiful about that is that I have experienced beautiful connection with my wife as we just sit silently and hold hands and, and do nothing on the sofa. And that's a longing that I have in my heart. If we don't have it for like three days, I'm like, man, when can I get some sofa time with my wife? That's a longing that I have. Living in the Spirit is having that Longing satisfied to its full. And Christ offers it for free. Let's pray.
God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for construction barrels and holes in the street and for children that complain and don't obey, God. I thank you for your scripture that speaks beautiful truth. Thank you for the physical reality of my shower that brings the spiritual reality of your cleansing, Father. God, I pray for the people in this room, God, that you would just connect our hearts to the beauty of who you are. God, that we would let go of the physical, let go of our misinformed need for physical comfort and connect with what you want to give to us, God. A hope that can't perish, spoil, or fade. A life in the Spirit. Abiding, communing relationship with you. God, allow us to let go of ourselves. Connect with your sufferings. Die to ourselves. God, we thank you for Jesus. The ultimate beautiful picture of of all of this. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.